Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen. Steve Olson is on sabbatical, but we want to make sure you get the tools and techniques you need to become a power persuader to become more influential. So it's the beginning of the year and you're probably tired of hearing about goals, so we're not going to talk about goals. We're going to talk about specific influence techniques that make a big difference with what you're doing and who you're influencing because we all influence for a living. Now, as you know, here on the show, we're very neutral politically. We like to rip on both sides equally. But isn't it interesting? And you can use this in the world of persuasion and influence. You look at Donald Trump. He has this inauguration. And all of a sudden, all these people are refusing to go, refusing to do it. But think about it. Two years ago, if any one of these singers or Hollywood actors or whoever it is was invited to a Trump party, I guarantee they would be there. That would be the place to be. But think about what's happened. And this is important in influence. We dislike people that are dissimilar to us. Now all of a sudden Trump's a different political party where it didn't matter before, nobody really knew before, nobody really cared before, but now it matters. And here's the thing about connectivity. When people are different than us or dissimilar, we don't like them as much. And we look for things about them that we don't like. That's important in influence. If you're influencing somebody and you want to talk about religion or politics, uh, I wouldn't do it. Now, if it's the same, probably okay, but otherwise you're going to offend half your audience just right out of the chute. Not everybody thinks like you or acts like you or does what you do. So be very careful. And that's one of the things that's haunting the late night talk shows. Even SNL ratings are down because they spend so much time on politics that it automatically offends half their audience. So be very careful about and think about how that works. So we're committed this year to give you some great content about influence, persuasion, negotiation, even self-persuasion. Again, thanks for listening. This is Maximize Your Influence and Kurt Mortensen. You can find all the podcasts at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook under Maximize Your Influence. You can find us. Tell your friends. Tell your families. Get the word out because everything you want in life is on the other side of influence. But of course, I like those geeky articles, right? As we all do. Well, maybe not we all, but I do, to share the science. Everything we teach on the show is based on science. And I want to share one with you that really caught my eye that's interesting. We'll expand on it a little bit, and then we'll get into our blunder of the week. So this is in the Journal of Cognition. I know that's the best read for you, but let me explain what they're talking about. They're looking at eye contact and verbal processing, and they usually appear independent. But people frequently avert their eyes or move their eyes away from interrogators during conversation. And so this suggests that there's an interference between those two processes. So what they found, there's a different functional, dysfunctional interaction between our ability to see and hear and process this information. They're like, okay, what does that mean? When we're looking at someone, people look away and they come back. And why does that happen? And is it that important? So basically, we need to come up with certain words under certain circumstances, maintaining eye contact depletes brain resources we need to find the right word or to respond in the right way or when we think and I guess deeper thoughts we'll call it. So this is how they tested it out. They got participants to make eye contact with computer generated face, right? While playing a word association game. 
And what they found is that the face didn't seem to interfere with the ability to come up with the words that were easily associated with the words that they were showing them. For example, scissors, we say cut, that type of thing. But they found when the nouns were more difficult, or there were associations a little obscure, it took participants longer to think of the word. They had trouble maintaining that eye contact, meaning we had to look away to have more brain power to find the right word. Isn't that interesting? We talk about eye contact and the way our brain's wired. Even when I teach detecting deception, eye movement can dictate if someone's telling the truth or they're lying or they're making something up or they're trying to recall something. I mean, that's how powerful our eyes are. So you say, okay, Kurt, what does this mean? How can this help me as a persuader? There are three things to take a look at here. If they're not looking at you, they keep looking away. Is that their personality? That would be the first thing to look at. And don't want to stare that person down. You kind of want to match their percent of eye contact. Does that mean they are lying to you? That their eye contact has changed a little bit? And that's what you're looking for in deception is you want to find their default percent of eye contact when you're talking about the weather or different things are not stressful. But if their eye contact changes a lot, that could be one of the indicators of deceptions. But the one to think about, if you don't think either one of those are the issue, you've got to think about, am I being too complicated? Are they not getting it? Are they processing way too much? Say, they keep looking away for more mental energy, mental capacity to process what you're talking about. I've said it before, confused mind says no. And if you're being too complex and they keep looking away and they're trying to gather information, they're trying to think in deep thoughts, maybe you're being a little more too complicated, you might be able to simplify it. You want to keep their attention as much as possible. In fact, let's spend some time talking about eye contact and how important that is because it's a big complaint when you try to persuade or influence someone. You know, it's interesting, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the eyes of men or women converse as much as their tongue. And so if you can be aware of your eye contact and the eye contact of your prospects, we can understand a lot of things. You've heard it before, the eyes are the windows to the soul. Because through our eyes we can gauge truthfulness, trust, attitude, and feelings of the speaker. And not making the proper eye contact or looking at your phone or writing an email while you're talking to somebody could have devastating results. Even when you look at the eyes, the pupils are the one of the most sensitive and complicated parts of our body. They react to light, but they also respond to our emotions. In fact, our eyes dilate when we're interested about something. And a lot of people are aware about that when you're looking at something in a store. They look at your eyes. One famous example comes from Pennzoil Oil. They took Texaco Oil to court because they said Texaco was interfering with the contract they already had with, I think it was Getty Oil. And throughout the trial, the Pennzoil attorneys were accused of trying to sway the jury by encouraging the witnesses to make eye contact and joke with the jurors. But the Texaco counsel, their attorneys said, no, this is serious, this is not joking. Don't even look at the jury. <laughs> not good advice because it cost Texaco $2.5 billion in damages. This is not the only reason, but after the trial, jurors expressed a distrust towards the witnesses who had avoided eye contact, even calling them arrogant and indifferent. I mean, that's how powerful our eyes are. They can help or hurt the influence process. See, making eye contact can convey love or passion. In fact, it's interesting. You can take a man or a woman about the same age, have them sit knee to knee, look in each other's eyes, and they start having amorous feelings towards each other. Try that one in the workplace. Let's see what happens with that. But you got to be careful because when you look at somebody 100% of the time, it means you're either falling in love or you're getting angry, which you probably don't want in the workplace if you're trying to influence a prospect. 
generally, and it depends on culture and personality, let me give you some averages, you're looking at someone around 70% of the time. We know with beggars, beggars on the street, for example, when they can get that eye contact, wow, done deal, they're getting money from you, for the most part. Even store owners, to get you in the store, maintaining that eye contact, getting that eye contact helps them persuade you. In fact, another interesting study showed that public speakers, you know, presenters who make more eye contact, use pleasant facial expressions and incorporate appropriate gestures into their speeches, have more persuasive powers than speakers who do not. So that eye contact is critical, especially in an audience situation, at least looking in general sections. Because most speakers I've noticed as I've trained them, they will focus on maybe one-third to one-half of the audience, and the other audience feels ignored. You might be doing that, and you don't even know it. So you could record yourself giving a presentation and take a look at your eyes and where they're going, but you need to look at the whole audience. I mean, again, this is a big complaint where you're just ignoring half the room. You don't even know it. You have your favorite spot to stand, your favorite spot to look. It's standard for a lot of presenters. So you need to make sure in a smaller audience you're looking at each person randomly, individually, right, just for a few seconds. In a larger audience, you're looking at, at 10 o'clock, and then maybe you're looking at 12 o'clock, and then 3 o'clock. I mean, different areas of the room at different times, different sections so there's that connection between you and it increases your ability to influence. A couple other interesting studies. You know this one already. Sunglasses arouse distrust. Now, if you've known them for 20 years, it's probably not a big deal, but be careful of sunglasses or regular eyeglasses that tint in the sunlight. It's harder to build instant trust. When you avoid eye contact, that shows a lack of confidence. If you're showing less than 50% of eye contact, that triggers insincerity and distance. Now, when you get increased eye contact, it kind of shows they're starting to accept your idea. And another interesting one is that rapid blinking could show resistance to what has been done or said. In fact, that's a sign of deception when people tend to blink more or they change their amount of eye contact. They're either staring you down more or looking at you less. So the eyes are a powerful thing. How you use them yourself as an influencer, but also reading the eyes of the other person. If their pupils dilate, they could be interested. If they're not looking at you, if they're disinterested, that could be a challenge. So remember, eyes are the wind of the soul. Quit being so concerned about vomiting the 27 reasons they should do it. Look at their eyes, read their eyes, have the eye contact, make that connection. It is a big complaint where people say they didn't look at me, they weren't interested, they were looking at other things. You don't think it's an issue for you, but it could be. So remember eye contact and work on it this week. Maintaining the proper amount of eye contact and reading their eyes as you are influencing a power tool in persuasion. And since Steve's not around, let's cue up Homer. Go, Homer. Don't, don't, don't. And for our newbies, that's the sound that there's a persuasion blunder about to come. <laughs> and I'm going to be the blunder. Why not? New year, new blunder. Well, it's not exactly the new blunder. It's something I did, uh, I think it was oh, oh, last year or sometime. I'm not sure how far back it was. I do a lot of international speaking, and that's where a majority of my blunders come from is cultural blunders doing the wrong thing in the wrong culture, the wrong meaning, different interpretation. It gets me in trouble all the time. I can give you a list of blunders. But one I just thought of recently, I was speaking in Italy, and it's being translated. And I've got this funny slide that always gets laughter about this guy who's getting screwed. He has this big screw growing through him. And my lesson is that sometimes people feel this way. They feel screw, right? They feel like they're being pressured or back in the corner. Somebody's using closing skills. And it Illustrates the point very well and gets a little chuckle, so I use it all the time. Well, that didn't work in Italy. They're like, why is there a screw going through them? That's not funny. That would be painful. 
why would anybody think about screwing somebody? What? I don't. We don't. What? It didn't. It flopped. It didn't work. They're more of a conceptual culture. And I will nominate myself for that blunder because I didn't think it through. And now I'm doing a lot better as far as showing my slides to people of a different culture, different language, testing out my jokes because some stories don't work, some jokes don't work, sometimes the pictures don't work or a concept doesn't work. It takes a lot more time and effort, but it makes a big difference. And that's true if you're working with different departments. Different departments think differently. Different personalities think differently. Remember, you attempt to persuade how you like to be persuaded. You have to adapt to style, culture, personality. That makes the biggest difference. You need to persuade them how they want to persuade them. So I'll be the blunder of the week. I'm happy to take that honor. I've made my fair share of blunders. But I just wanted to welcome you to the new year. And welcome to our new format. A little more concise, a little shorter. Make sure you get the tool of the week. And that's your key. Learn the tool, apply it, use it, change the world, make the world a better place. Go out there and persuade with power.